0: Chapter 2 of the Life and Adventures of James P. Beckworth by Thomas D. Bonner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Olman. Expedition to the mines. Am Hunter to the party. First trip to New Orleans. Sick with yellow fever. Return home. First trip to the Great West. The expedition consisted of from 6 to 8 boats carrying probably about 100 men. The party in our boat numbered some 8 or 10 men, among whom were Colonel Johnson, his son Darwin Johnson, Messrs. January, Sims, Kennerly and others whose names have escaped me. I engaged in the capacity of hunter to the party. We pushed off and, after a slow and tedious trip of about twenty days, arrived at our place of destination, Galena of the present day. We found Indians in great numbers awaiting our disembarkation, who were already acquainted with the objects of our expedition. The two tribes, Saxon and Foxes, received us peaceably, but being all armed, they presented a very formidable appearance. There was a considerable force of United States troops quartered in that region under the command of Colonel Morgan, stationed in detachments at Prairie du Chien, Rock Island, St. Peter's, and Des Moines after nine days parleying a treaty was effected with them and ratified with the signatures of the contracting parties on the part of the indians it was signed by black thunder yellow blank and keokuk father of the keokuk who figured in the black hawk war on the part of the united states colonel morgan and johnson attached their signatures This negotiation concluded the mines were then first opened for civilized enterprise. During the settlement of the preliminaries of the treaty, there was great difficulty with the Indians, and it was necessary for each man of our party to be on his guard against any hostile attempts of the former who were all armed to the teeth on the distribution of presents which followed the conclusion of the treaty consisting of casks of whisky guns gunpowder knives blankets etc there was a general time of rejoicing pow-wows, drinking and dancing diversified the time and a few fights were indulged in as a sequel to the entertainment the indians soon became very friendly to me and i was indebted to them for showing me their choicest hunting grounds there were an abundance of game including deer bears wild turkeys raccoons and numerous other wild animals frequently they would accompany me on my excursions which always proved eminently successful thus affording me an opportunity of increasing my personal knowledge of the indian character I have lived among Indians in the eastern and western states, on the rocky mountains and in California. I find their habits of living, their religious beliefs, substantially uniform through all the unmingled races. All believe in the great spirit. All have their prophets, their medicine men, and their soothsayers, and are alike influenced by the appearance of omens thus leading to the belief that the original tribes throughout the entire continent from florida to the most northern coast have sprung from one stock and still retain in some degree of purity the social constitution of their primitive founders i remained in that region for a space of eighteen months occupying my leisure time by working in the mines during this time i accumulated seven hundred dollars in cash and feeling myself to be quite a wealthy personage i determined upon a return home my visit paid I felt a disposition to roam further and took passage in the steamboat Calhoun, Captain Glover about to descend the river to New Orleans. My stay in New Orleans lasted ten days, during which time I was sick with the yellow fever, which I contracted on the way from Natchez to New Orleans. It was midsummer, and I sought to return home, heartily regretting I had ever visited this unwholesome place as my sickness abated i lost no time in making my way back and remained under my father's roof until i had in some measure recruited my forces being possessed with a strong desire to see the celebrated rocky mountains and the great western wilderness so much talked about i engaged in general ashley's rocky mountain fur company the company consisted of twenty-nine men who were employed by the fur company as hunters and trappers we started on the eleventh of october with horses and pack mules nothing of interest occurred until we approached the village situated on the Kansas River when we came to a halt and encamped. Here it was found that the company was in need of horses, and General Ashley wished for two men to volunteer to proceed to the Republican Pawnees, distant 300 miles, where he declared we could obtain a supply. There was, in our party, an old and experienced mountaineer named moses harris in whom the general reposed the strictest confidence for his knowledge of the country and his familiarity with indian life this harris was reputed to be a man of great leg and capable from his long sojourning in the mountains of enduring extreme privation and fatigue There seemed to be a great reluctance on a part of the men to undertake in such company, so hazardous a journey, for it was now winter. It was also whispered in the camp that whoever gave out in an expedition with Harris received no succor from him, but was abandoned to his fate in the wilderness. Our leader, seeing this general unwillingness, desired me to perform the journey with Harris. Being young and feeling ambitious to distinguish myself in some important trust, I asked leave to have a word with Harris before I decided. Harris being called, the following colloquy took place. Harris, I think of accompanying you on this trip. Very well, Jim, he replied, scrutinizing me closely. Do you think you can stand it? I don't know, I answered, but I'm going to try. I e. A great traveler able to go a great distance in a day but i wish you to hear one thing in mind if i should give out on the road and you offer to leave me to perish as you have the name of doing if i have strength to raise my rifle i shall certainly bring you to a halt harris looked me full in the eye while he replied jim you may proceed me the entire way and take your own jog If I direct the pass and give you the lead, it will be your own fault if you tire out. That satisfies me, I replied. We will be off in the morning. The following morning, we prepared for departure. Each man loaded himself with 25 pounds of provisions, besides a blanket, rifle, and ammunition each. We started on our journey. After a march of about 30 miles, I, in advance, my companion bringing up the rear, Harris complained of fatigue. We halted, and Harris sat down, while I built a large, cheerful fire, for the atmosphere was quite cold. We made coffee and partook of a hearty supper, lightening our packs, as we supposed, for the following day. But while I was bringing in wood to build up the fire, I saw Harris seize his rifle in great haste and the next moment bring down a fat turkey from a tree few rods from camp. Immediately reloading, for old mountaineers never suffered their guns to remain empty for one moment. While I was yet rebuilding the fire, Crack went his rifle again and down came a second turkey, so large and fat that he burst in striking the ground. We were thus secured for our next morning's meal after we had refreshed ourselves with a hearty supper my companion proposed that we should kill each a turkey to take with us for our next day's provisions this we both succeeded in doing and then having dressed the four turkeys we folded ourselves in our blankets and enjoyed a sound night's rest the following morning we breakfasted off the choicest portions of two of the turkeys and abandoned the remainder to the wolves who had been all night prowling round the camp for prey we started forward as early as possible and advanced that day about forty miles my companion again complained of fatigue and rested while i made a fire procured water and performed all the culinary work the selected portions of last evening's turkeys with the addition of bread and coffee supplied us with supper and breakfast After a travel of ten days, we arrived at the Republican Pawnee Villages, when what was our consternation and dismay to find the place was entirely deserted. They had removed to their winter quarters. We were entirely out of provisions, having expected to find abundance at the lodges. We searched diligently for their catches, places where provisions are secured, but failed in discovering any. Our only alternative was to look for game, which, so near to an Indian settlement we were satisfied, must be scarce. I would break my narrative for a while to afford some explanation in regard to the different bands of the pointy tribe, a subject which at the present day is but imperfectly understood by the general reader the knowledge being confined to those alone who, by living among them, have learned their language and hence become acquainted with the nature of their divisional land. The reader perhaps has remarked that I related we were on a visit to Republican Pawnee villages. This is a band of the Pawnee tribe of the Indians, which is thus divided. The Grand Pawnee Band, the Republican Pawnee Band, the Pawnee Loops or Wolf Pawnees, The Pawnee Picks, or tattooed Pawnees, and the black Pawnees. The five bands constitute the entire tribe. Each band is independent and under its own chief. But for mutual defense, or in other cases of urgent necessity, they unite into one body. They occupy an immense extent of country, stretching from beyond the Platte River to the south of the Arkansas and at the time I speak of could raise from 30,000 to 40,000 warriors. Like all other Indian tribes, they have dwindled away from various causes, the small park and war having carried them off by the thousands. Some of the bands have been reduced to one half by this fatal disease, in many instances introduced designedly among them by their civilized Brethren, a disease more particularly fatal to the Indians from their ignorance of any suitable remedy, their invariable treatment for all ailments being a cold water immersion. It is not surprising that they are eminently unsuccessful in their treatment of smallpox. Horse stealing practised by one band upon the other leads to exterminating feuds and frequent engagements, wherein great numbers are mutually slain. The following interesting episode I had from the lips of the interpreter. Some 32 years ago, during Monroe's administration, a powerful Indian named Tuax, chief counselor of the Pawnee Lupin, went to pay his great father, the president, a visit. He was over six feet high and well-proportioned athletic build and as straight as an arrow. He was delegated to Washington by his tribe to make a treaty with his great father. Being introduced, his father made known to him, through the interpreter, the substance of his proposal, the keen-witted Indian perceiving that the proposed treaty talked all Turkey to the white man and all crow to his tribe sat patiently waiting the reading of the paper the reading finished he rose with all his native dignity and in that vein of true indian eloquence in which he was unsurpassed, declared that the treaty had been conceived in injustice and brought forth in duplicity that many treaties had been signed by indians of their great father's concoction, wherein they bartered away the graves of their fathers for a few worthless trinkets. And afterwards their hearts cried at their folly that such Indians were fools and women. He expressed his free opinion of the great father and all his white children and concluded by declaring that he would sign no paper which would make his own breast or those of his people to sorrow accordingly two acts broke up the council abruptly and returned to his home without making any treaty with his father side mark. it is a curious coincidence that in new zealand and other pacific islands the natives died by thousands from plunging into cold water when attacked by the smallpox cg leland This expression, to talk turkey, i.e., to one's own profit, also in the purpose, is said to have originated as follows. A white man and an Indian went hunting together, having agreed to share the game. At the end of the day, there were two crows and a wild turkey in a bag. The white man, as the lion, made the division. Here, he said to the Indian, is a crow for you, then a turkey for me, then a crow for you. To which the Indian replied, "Me no like that. You talk all turkey for you and all crow for me." C. J. Leland. End of Chapter Two. Recording by Gary Olman, West Palm Beach, Florida.